All right, if you have a Bible, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to make our way over to James chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to follow along in a text, those are the three places we're going to be in today. A couple quick things. If my voice annoys you a little bit today, I'm sorry. I've lost my voice over the last few days, and I prayed, and miraculously I could talk this morning. So you're going to have to deal with kind of a raspy voice. Uh, The other thing is that was Aaron Partlow who did our communion thoughts this morning. Aaron is our new youth minister, and thank you, Aaron, for leading us through communion today. If you haven't had a chance to meet him, uh, come introduce yourself after our worship service and his wife, Lauren, as well, and their son, Sam, which I think he's back in the back. All right, so Exodus chapter 20 is where I want to start off this morning. Uh, The last two months, we've studied through the Ten Commandments, taking them one commandment at a time, except last week we combined two commandments. We're kind of getting ready to wrap this up. We're towards the end, and today we're going to look at the Ninth Commandment. Here's what the Ninth Commandment says in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I'll read it again. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So if you've memorized the Ten Commandments, anybody have the Ten Commandments memorized? That was one of your challenges. Okay, three people, so I guess this may not apply to you, but if you memorized a shortened version of the Ten Commandments, you might be surprised at what I just read. Because the way that most people memorize the Ten Commandments, the way that most people are familiar with the Ten Commandments is the Ninth Commandment says, Thou shalt not, what? Lie. The text doesn't actually say that. It says, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, the two go hand in hand. But in its original setting is a courtroom setting. And in the ancient world, this is about your verbal testimony. Eyewitnesses were incredibly important in a courtroom setting. Today, it's still important, but we have DNA testing. We have fingerprints. We have video cameras everywhere. We have audio recordings Back then, they didn't have any of that. So an eyewitness giving their verbal witness, their verbal testimony was incredibly important. But what the Ninth Commandment teaches us is that our words are incredibly powerful and incredibly important. So we kind of summarize and we kind of come to understand this commandment as, do not lie. Thou shalt not lie. Just don't tell a lie. And if you think about lying, Think about how nobody likes to be lied to. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. If you find out that you've been lied to, especially by a friend or a family member, it hurts. It can break the relationship or at least cause some distance. As a parent, we teach our kids not to lie. And we know, okay, lying is not a good thing, although a lot of us lie out of habit and we don't even realize that we're doing it. I thought of this lady. Uh, her name is, make sure I say her name right, Rosie Ruiz. She won the 1980 Boston Marathon. A marathon is 26.2 miles. So just to be able to complete a marathon is a huge deal. It could take years of training, but not just to complete the marathon, but to be able to win get first place out of all the hundreds and and even thousands of contestants who were running that race. That's a pretty big deal. It's a huge accomplishment. Well, eight days later, she was stripped of her title 
Because after some investigation, they discovered that she cheated and she lied. She didn't even run the whole race. She started the race, she slipped away, and then she wound up walking back onto the race with about a half a mile left and then finished, and then she broke a record. How would that make you feel if you find out eight days later, if you're on the committee for the Boston Marathon or if you participated in any ways, that the person who won, that you celebrated, that you crowned as the victor, it was all big lie? How would you feel if you were one of the runners, one of the contestants who had worked so hard to get to that point and somebody else is celebrated as the victor and it was just a big lie? Now, I thought of that story yesterday as I was doing my final preparations for this sermon, and I realized we might categorize that, what she did, as a big lie, and there are so many examples that I could give of big lies. What about small lies? And is there a difference between big lies and small lies? Isn't a lie a lie? Now, we may not have ever done anything like that, cheated and pretended to win a marathon, a Boston marathon. That's pretty bold what she did. Maybe most of us will never do something that big, but the truth is that most of us probably lie out of habit. We've found ways to tell little lies, and we've grown so accustomed to it, we don't even realize that we're doing it. As one author put it, it's just kind of a a habit of communication. So the ninth commandment is really stressing, teaching us, reminding us that our words matter and that words are incredibly powerful and words are incredibly important. In Genesis 1 and 2, when God created the heavens and the earth, He spoke it into existence. God used His words to create, and then God created male and female in His image. And God gives us the capacity and the ability to use words to communicate. No other animal, no other creature that God created has this ability to speak, to communicate, to express ourselves in this way. So words are incredibly powerful, and God allows us to share in that. And Words have amazing potential. I want to read what James, who's supposedly the brother of Jesus, that's what most of us believe, that This was Jesus' half-brother, James, who writes this book. And in James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12-ish, James has this great text on the tongue, on human speech, on words. And I'm not going to read all of it. I just want to read verse 5 through 10. Just take a moment to read this and let this sink in a little bit. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. I'm reading from a New Revised Standard Version. If you're reading from NIV or another translation, it may sound a little different, but you'll get the point. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue. A restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Uh, In my opinion, this is is a wonderful text. I didn't even read the first few verses. Uh, This sermon today, the point of this sermon is not to be an expository sermon on James chapter 3. So I'm not going to get into the details of all the analogies that James uses here. Maybe that will be for another time or another place. But I will summarize what I think James is saying is that words are powerful. He uses the tongue, but the tongue speaks words, so words are powerful whether that's for good or for bad. How many of you have ever heard the advice or used the advice, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Anybody? I heard that a lot growing up. Okay, more of you know that than know the Ten Commandments. We need to work on that a little bit or memorizing the text, but Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'm going to ruin something for you if you like that statement, but that's a lie. Whoever made that up was just covering up a pain that they really had, and they were trying to convince themselves that words can't hurt, but that's not true. Words can hurt, and they do hurt. And what James is saying in chapter 3 and verse 5, the tongue is like a little spark. Think about how just a little spark, a little flame can start a huge forest fire. That's what the tongue is like. That's what our words can do. Or if you think about the words that God has given us to communicate, it's a double-edged sword. With our words, we can bless people, we can create, we can love, we can speak peace and blessing into people's lives. And at the same time, with our words, We can crush someone's spirit. We can destroy people and destroy each other. So words have this amazing potential. And that's what the ninth commandment is all about. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie. What that's calling us to is to think about the words that we use and how important it is. (coughs) So for my research, for my study, there's a few I guess you could call them points because this is a sermon and most preachers like to use points. There's a few points that I want to bring to your attention that help me understand the depth of what the ninth commandment is calling us to. And let me start with this one. Is don't aggressively spread your opinion and trick yourself into thinking that your opinion is the truth. It's a long point. Let me elaborate just a little bit. We live in a world especially in the last year, where everybody has an opinion. Would you agree with that? Or is that just my opinion? Everybody has an opinion, right? I mean, everybody has an opinion about church, what we should do, what we should have done. We should have done this or that. School, what you should have done, what you should not have done. What society, what the governor, what the president, everybody has an opinion. The problem is that we confuse ourselves and we start to think that our opinion, our opinion, is truth. And just because you feel strongly about something doesn't make it true. And I think it would be helpful as followers of Jesus to remember that. Whatever happened to humility? Whatever happened to keeping an open mind? I've heard this statement a lot and I've used it myself. The truth is in the middle somewhere. 
I thought about that a lot in the last year, ever since COVID has become a thing. You can get online, you can scroll through social media, you can listen to what people are saying, and one person says this, one person says this, one person says this, and everybody is completely convinced that they are right about what they're saying. And I get caught in the middle somewhere, and I'm thinking, what do I, what do I believe? Maybe the truth is in the middle somewhere. Maybe somebody, each person that speaks has a little bit of truth to it, But what does that say about humanity is that we can't share facts, we can't share truth without forcing our opinion onto a subject. But last year when, in March of 2020, when when COVID first kind of hit us, I guess, I I don't know how else to say that, we were on a spring break trip, and we had actually gone to New Mexico, and we were on our way home, and we knew something was happening, and uh, the big thing was that people were going into stores and buying out all the toilet paper. You remember that? That was a big deal. This is a picture of two ladies who got in a fight in a grocery store over toilet paper. And I remember coming home to Longview and going to Walmart, and we couldn't buy toilet paper because it was all gone because everybody was panicking. And that same week, I was talking to my uncle, and he said something that I thought was profound And I think he likes it when I give him credit in sermons, so I'm going to share it again. I shared it last year. But he said, you know, remember, this is a year ago before we knew a whole lot about COVID. He said, we've learned a lot more about humanity this week than we have this virus. And I thought that was so true that I shared that in my first post-COVID sermon on Sunday, March 15, 2020, now, here we are a year later, and I'm sharing it again because I still think it's true. We've learned a lot more about the virus. We have a vaccine. There's been a, a lot of information that we've learned, but I still think we've learned more about human beings than we have this virus. And I've been disappointed. And I've probably been a part of the problem in ways that I haven't even realized. But the thing that disappoints me the most is how Christians behave is that we get more caught up in winning an argument and proving other people wrong and forcing our opinions than we do loving and respecting others. Paul says in Ephesians 4.25, what we read in our scripture reading this morning, so then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Paul's just elaborating on the ninth commandment. That's what he's doing. It's Ephesians 4, the second half of that. He's taking these Ten Commandments, and he's kind of putting his own spin on it for Christian ethics. Put away falsehood. Stop lying. Stop bearing false witness. Speak truth. But most of us, and I'm pointing the finger at myself too, we've taken a verse like this, and we've said, speak your opinion, and make sure we force it. So the question that I've had as I think about the ninth commandment, as I think about where we are in reality, where this year has taken us, is are we as followers of Jesus known for how opinionated we are? Or are we known for how much love and respect we give to others, even if we disagree with them? I don't know how you'd answer that question, but I would assume that as the last year has gone on, we've probably, if this was a test, we failed that test. But you look at Jesus Christ, you, look, you read Paul's letters, you look at what the New Testament tells us to do, loving people, being respectful, being considerate, being kind, those are important Christian virtues, but we've kind of flipped it around and we've come to believe that, hey, 
whatever is true to me, whatever my opinion is, that's more important than loving others. So the ninth commandment, I think, that's where it takes me. And by the way, it's okay to have an opinion. Everybody has opinions. It's just a reminder to not confuse our opinions with the truth. The ninth commandment is about telling the truth. I may get some negative feedback about that point, and I'm willing to have a discussion with you, but just be loving and respectful if you didn't like what I just shared. Let's move on to the second thing. When you say you're going to do something, do it. Be honest. Be a person of your word. Be, per- be a person whose word uh, matters and means something, and people can trust you. When I was a little kid, there was a movie that came out called Liar, Liar. Jim Carrey was in it. It came out in 1997. I'm not advocating the movie, by the way, but I did get to watch it as a kid several times, and I remember the plot of the movie. Jim Carrey played this character who's a lawyer, and uh, he was a pathological liar, and because he lied all the time, he constantly disappointed people and hurt people, especially his own son. And he had promised his son that he was going to be at this birthday party, or his son's birthday party, and he never showed. So when his son was blowing out the candles, he made his wish, and he wished that his dad could no longer lie. And then Jim Carrey wakes up the next day, he can't lie. He can't lie to save his life. He's trying to lie, but he can't. So I thought of that movie in light of the the Ninth Commandment, because I thought, what if that happened to us? What if we woke up tomorrow, and somehow, someway, we'd been completely blocked and prevented from lying? How would that change our lives? Are we honest enough people to realize nothing would change because we always tell the truth? Or would our lives change dramatically if all of a sudden we couldn't lie anymore, even if it's small lies? All right, the third thing is when you're retelling a story or sharing a conversation, be honest about it. Here again, I'll point the finger at myself. Now, every time I tell a story in a sermon, I do the best I can to be as truthful as possible to what happened or at least the way that I remember it. But often, when we share stories or conversations, and we are retelling that to someone else, we have a tendency of kind of fabricating some of the details and making other people look dumb and making ourselves look smart or making ourselves look like victims. So this is just a short and simple point. If we're going to be honest, if the Bible calls us to be honest people, when we're retelling a conversation that took place, what if we were committed to just, I'm just going to be honest about how this happened? Even if it makes me look guilty, this is exactly how it went down. What if we just practice that? We, we share conversations all the time, so practice being honest when you're retelling it. Fourth thing is own your wrongs. If you've hurt somebody or if you've done something that has caused pain or you've done something wrong, take responsibility. Don't lie just to get out of trouble. How often do we do that? As a parent, we try to teach our kids, you did this, tell me the truth. You're going to be in trouble, but if you tell me the truth, you'll be in less trouble. If you'll find out later that you're lying to me, you're going to be even more trouble. Any parents do that? We just be honest. That's what we're asking for. Own up to it. If you did something wrong, if you hurt somebody, just tell the truth. But as adults, most of the time, we don't really grow out of that we have, all have a tendency, that's that habit of communication I was talking about, and I'm guilty of this too, so I'm not pointing fingers at everybody else. I'm looking within myself, and I'm thinking, how often do we twist words, or do we 
refrain from sharing something that we should share just to get out of having to deal with responsibility. Fifth one, the ninth commandment makes me think of is avoid gossip. Gossip. That's something that we're probably all guilty of. In Ephesians chapter 4, the same passage we read from earlier, just skip down a few verses to verse 29. Paul says this, let no evil talk come out of your mouths. I like the way he said, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, depending on what translation you're reading, but only words that build people up. Give words of grace. That's what Paul's saying. That's what needs to come out of your mouth. And gossip does the exact opposite. Instead of building people up, it tears people down. Or back to that passage that we read from the beginning in James chapter 3 and verse 8, he says that your tongue is full of deadly poison. And that is what gossip is. Many years ago, I was at a church potluck. Y'all remember those? You miss those, anybody? You may not after the story I'm about to tell. We went to a church potluck, and, you know, I, that's where I used to, that's the only place I think I can consume three to 4,000 calories in one meal. They're not real healthy for you. But the next day, we noticed that a lot of people were sick, I mean, violently sick with food poisoning. So, obviously, something was spread around at that potluck meal that got a lot of people sick. I was fine. So were a few other people. So we did a little bit of research. What did you eat? We wanted to figure out so we could make sure to avoid it at the next church potluck. What was it that caused you to get so sick? And for every person that we talked to, we discovered it was this fruit drink. Everybody that got sick, the, what they had to drink that day was this fruit drink. And somebody finally confessed to it that they just took an old drink that had been sitting out and apparently getting warm, got all the bacteria in it, and they just set it out for people to drink And it looked tasty, so a lot of people went through it, and everybody that had that fruit drink got violently sick. So when I think about gossip, that's what I think of is that potluck meal, and that's the way gossip works. It's like poison that spreads its way through everybody. And so if we're going to not bear false witness against our neighbor, if we're not going to lie, if we're going to be people who are honest and speak truth, well, one of the things we need to avoid is gossip. We all know that bad news travels much faster than good news. That's true on social media, but it was true before social media ever existed. And I think one of the things the Ninth Commandment is calling us to is to protect our neighbor's good name. Now, let me explain neighbor briefly. If you're thinking neighbor, okay, the people that live beside me or down my road, remember what Jesus said in the question to who is my neighbor? In Luke chapter 10, parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus expands the definition of neighbor to pretty much everyone, even strangers. So protect your neighbor's good name. Well, you may say, my neighbor doesn't have a good name. You still protect their name, and one of the ways to do that is to not participate in spreading gossip. And so often, and I'm guilty of this too, we share things that we think are true, we heard it from a good source, or this is the way we saw it, and even if it's true, do we have to always share it? Here's what I always say. If I share something with someone that I, I maybe I'm not supposed to, you know what I normally say? Don't tell anybody this. 
And you know what that person goes on to say like 30 minutes later to somebody else? Can't tell anybody this, but. And that's how gossip just spreads that way. And then it changes the way that we view people. I know there's been times where I've been gossiped about, and then when I hear about it, I'm like, well, that's not true. But I noticed that somebody was acting a little distant from me, and I'm thinking, well, that's not even fair to me, and it's not fair to other people when we do it to them. But habitually, we, that's one of the vices that we have, one of the struggles that we have is gossip. As one author put it, parents, if as soon as you get in the car when you leave church, if the first things that your kids hear is you start talking about all the people at church, you don't know why they do this or that, and they're hearing you kind of gossip and, and complain, what does that do to their faith? Our words are powerful. Our words have amazing potential for good or for bad. As many people have said before, a good name can take a lifetime to build, in a single afternoon to lose. So we need to be careful participating in gossip, avoid it. And the ninth commandment finally also teaches me to pay attention to how often we lie to ourselves. Our ability to tell the truth is going to be rooted in our ability to tell the truth to ourselves. Now you could look at this from several angles. One could just be the category of motivation. How often do we tell ourselves that we can't do something? I can't do it. Whatever it may be, a task, a job, something in life, we let fear take us over and we convince ourselves we can't do it, but we're lying to ourselves because we really can. That's one way of how we lie to ourselves, but what about with addiction? Most people that have ever struggled with an addiction, they probably start with lying to themselves that they don't have a problem. Maybe if they have a family member or a close friend that's, that's worried about them and talks to them about it, they get defensive and they say, I don't have a problem. I have it under control. But in most 12-step programs, the first step is going to be to admit that you are powerless, admit that you do have a problem, and stop lying to yourself. Or when it comes to relationships, how often do we get our feelings hurt, we get upset, but we view ourselves as the victim, or we always view ourselves as the ones in the right and other people are in the wrong. Could it be that we've lied to ourselves? In 2016, I traveled to San Antonio with my family. We're going on a little vacation, going to SeaWorld. You know, James talked about taming sea creatures and wild animals. That's a place where they've been able to tame a giant well, but we can't tame the tongue. Well, we went to SeaWorld. And our kids were really little. It was 2016, so we decided we would get a hotel in Waco, Texas, along the way. We got a hotel in the courtyard, Waco. Uh, we spent the night there. We had our vacation, great time. Came back home. I was going over our bank statement because I wanted to see how much the whole trip cost us and how much money we spent and where we spent it. And I noticed that Courtyard Waco had charged me $10.44. And I immediately got upset. I thought, I, I don't know what that charge is for, but I did not spend $10.44. I thought it was about this rollaway bed that I had requested, and they promised me it was free, and then I thought they charged me. So I was, I was heated. I was ready to defend myself. I called the courtyard Waco, and I let them know that they had charged me falsely, and I wanted to speak to a manager. And so for 20 minutes, we went back and forth. I was respectful. I was kind. 
and it's just $10, but it was the principle behind it. They can't charge me for something that I didn't spend money on. And after about 20 minutes of the conversation, the lady on the other line said, well, we're trying to figure it out. Did you happen to eat the breakfast? And in that moment, I thought, "Uh uh-oh. That's when I remembered, oh, yeah, Kids were kind of crying and throwing a fit. I took my son, who was not even one at the time, and went downstairs, and I wanted the breakfast. And I remembered $10 sounds like a lot of money, but I'm hungry, so I bought it. And then I completely forgot that it happened. So I called them, and I was demanding to speak to a manager, and I was going to get to the bottom of it, and then it turns out I was in the wrong, that I didn't remember correctly. That was a humbling reminder to me. How often does that happen? So maybe if we just approach life with a little bit more humility, maybe even question ourselves, how often we not tell the truth to ourselves? So the ninth commandment, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, do not lie, is a reminder that words have this amazing potential. Words are powerful, and God has given us the ability to speak, and we can build people up. We can create life. We can do great things with our words. But if we're not careful, that tongue that James talks about that's a deadly poison, we can destroy. And we live in this confusing world where everybody has an opinion and where I've kind of become numb in the last year, and I thought, I don't know what to believe or what to think anymore. The one thing that I can put my faith in is Jesus Christ who says He is truth. In John chapter 1 and verse 17, Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. I think about that every Sunday when I preach. There's got to be grace because I'm a sinner, but I want to preach the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in a confusing world, where sometimes it's hard to know where we get our information from and what to believe, the one thing that we can count on, or at least that I put my faith in and that I want to remind myself of constantly, is that Jesus is the truth. And Jesus, who is the truth, was put to death on a cross because a group of religious leaders violated the ninth commandment. And they bore false witness, false testimony against him at his trial, which led him to the cross. And people breaking the ninth commandment wound up leading Jesus to turn that into a beautiful thing. And on the cross where he makes atonement for our sins, And and even though we we lie, we bend the truth, we're not perfect people, we're striving to be spirit-led people and improve in those areas that our sins are forgiven because Jesus took those with him to the cross. So this morning, if you struggle in any way, we always want you to know that as we sing a few more songs, we have elders around the room that are willing to pray with you and talk with you, even if that needs to be private or if you want to come up publicly. If you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, we've already had a few baptisms this year. Brandon was baptized last Sunday right here. If you want to have that conversation, we would love to talk to you about that, or we can baptize you today. Uh, We have an invitation song, and you're more than welcome to respond while we stand and sing. Seek ye first.